The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm your host, Wanda Wallace, and today we have a fascinating conversation. One of the challenges for expert leaders is learning to influence and persuade other people to do what you want them to do and to do that not without without using logic, meaning what are the other tactics besides the rational persuasion process that gets people on board, particularly when those people don't want to go along with you in the first place? So with me today is Angela Knight. Um, Angela is in the UK. She's on a number of boards in the UK. She has been um, led to industry organizations, both in energy and the British Bankers Association. She has been an elected member of parliament in the UK and served in a number of government roles. And if that's not enough, she has a degree in chemistry and has worked in industry for a couple of years as well. So Angela, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. Thank you. Um, one of the things that I find most fascinating, Angela, about your story is this notion that in running a trade association or in government for that matter, you have an agenda, you need to get people together around an issue, and those people don't necessarily want to even talk to each other to begin with, let alone get in the same room and collaborate. And so we're talking about members of the trade, we're talking about corporate executives, we're talking about government, and we're talking about ultimately the public at large. So tell us, Angela, what's the secret for getting these people together and to agree to move forward on a topic? And the last group, of course, Wanda, that I want to add to your list is regulators. Of course. Because the last two industry trade associations, which I have uh, been running, both have been regulated, banking by the financial regulators and energy by energy regulators. And, of course, they've got a part to play. But you're absolutely correct that so often those who are, you need to get together are those who really don't want to speak to each other. Industry, well, in companies and those who run the companies, yes, they want the industry to all move together on some issues, but each of them is running a company and they've got the proprietary interests of that company in mind. And, of course, you know, they've got to make money as well. Governments have a tendency to just say, I want this, I want that. Regulators often put their hands up and say, well, how about us? We want you to do it a different way. And the public are shouting for change. So it's complicated. And the way that I approach it is speak to everybody first. 
get a feeling of what it is that they really want. That would be the public, that would be government, that would be regulators. And from the industry, the companies themselves, what can they do and what can't they do? What is terribly expensive? What is just awkward and difficult? And when you've got all that information, you can start to think about what are the solutions? Because if you say, I want to get from A to B, there's often several different routes. And if you can find a route and you're thinking with your executive team, this is me uh, as uh, uh, when I was somebody running a trade association with my executive team, we'd sit there and we'd look at what are the expectations, what can be done, what are the best ways, and we construct some options. And once we've got constructed some options, you'd then go out and you'd speak to everybody again. And it's only when you have found a proposition which at least everybody is prepared to countenance, to think about, that you then say, right, well, let's get in a room and let's start to talk about it together. But I suppose I'd say as well, one of the tricks of the trade when you've got everybody in a room is never get to a point where somebody says, no, just make sure you don't push it that far. Never allow any one side to really monopolize the conversation. And in many respects, if you know, you've got to take control and if you can see that a conversation or a route is starting to get quite heated, people are you know, really starting to get a bit upset, just shut it down there and go away and reconvene that meeting another day and reconvene it with, yes, your agenda, but also very clear set of what I call slides, what I would call, um, you know, your deck, the pack of slides that sit, you could sit in front of everybody on the table, which makes it clear exactly how far that meeting got to, what the breakdown was of where the disagreement, you know, eight in favor of this, two in favor of that, one against everything, or whatever it may be, and then you start to move it on. And then when it gets a little bit sticky again, close down the meeting, do your run around, all your stakeholders afterwards, then bring it back together. It's a bit like being a sheepdog. You know what I mean by sheepdog? It's those dogs which uh, they respond to a whistle and they run round and they herd the sheep and they get them eventually all into a pen because they go round and round and round. Well, sometimes when you're trying to get everybody to a good, sensible solution, that's what you are. You're a sheepdog. You're running round and round. You have to have a huge amount of patience. But, you know, if you've got your right option there in the first place and you've molded it and you've shaped it a bit according to what people have said, you will ultimately get it over the line. Angela, I love that notion of a sheepdog. You know, we have this notion of the leader as the standout in front and drive everybody forward and lead the way and, you know, have the light. But the notion of the sheepdog who's running around behind the scenes, nipping at people's heels a little bit and just kind of gently corralling. Not a straightforward path necessarily, but a gently corral. Fabulous image. Let's go back to a couple of the points that you made here. Um, 
One of them is you said that you just, when there is disagreement and it's clear that you're not making progress, so somebody's starting to monopolize or you're pushing people to the point where they're just going to say permanently no, that you stop the meeting and you don't worry so much about time wasted, that that's as far as you can get in the meeting and any further is going to be destructive. Yes, that's right. That's right, because you've got a lot of disparate groups in that meeting. You've got people with different commercial problems. You know, any solution or any option is going to cost them money, so you've got different and quite often very significant costs, so clearly they're going to get worried about those. And then you've got regulators, you've got politicians, you've got others who just, just want something done. So, of course, it can get heated. If you push it, though, to the point at which, instead of having a constructive discussion, it starts to become destructive, you've let it run too far. You need people to go away and think about it. Don't leave them to think about it on their own. Ring them up, follow through, say, well, we could do it like this. I understand your problem there, but let's suppose... We, we, we take it a bit longer. Let's suppose the timetable is different. Let's suppose you make the change in a different way. Now what would you feel? And, of course, don't be afraid to say to people as well, you know, the big majority says they can do it that way. So what's your issue? Because that starts to flesh out whether there is a real problem or whether there's a perceived problem. And, of course, sometimes you don't have the right people in the meeting. You want the man or the woman at the top and they sent somebody um, further down the rankings. I often refer the, to them as Sherpas. You know how Sherpas sort of make the path up the mountain and then the climbers go up afterwards. So I tend to refer to them as Sherpas. And of course you need a Sherpa to do the daily grunt work of trying to work things through in detail. But equally so, that Sherpa will not have the mandate from the person at the top to say, yes, okay, I'm prepared to go down that path. So you have to feel your way with that dynamic as well. And at the point at which you're pretty sure there is a solution, and if you've got one or two or even three uh, entities who are not on side, you ring up the chief executive or you ring up the senior minister or you ring up the head of the regulator or you ring whoever is running the consumer group and you say, look, I appreciate your concerns, but I've got everybody on side for this. Now, why don't we do that? It may not be a perfect solution, but let's go for it. And invariably, you can get everybody over the line. You mentioned the point about is this leading? Well, in an odd sort of way, it is. Because you're not leading by saying, come on, everybody, follow me, do it my way. You're not going to get there. Not when you've got a lot of different groups around. But you're leading by trying to demonstrate very clearly to everybody that this option of getting from A to B, which is going to have to be done, is actually the best compromise option around. So let's go for it. 
So it's really very much about helping people work to compromise. I want to come back. You you gave a little bit of a, a you've implied it twice, but I just want to highlight how much behind the scenes work you do prior to and in between meetings. So you said at the beginning that before you ever convene the meeting, you speak to everyone first, one-on-one, to really understand where they're coming from, what their issues are, what their limitations, what their options are. And then you also said in between meetings, you're ringing around to people, chatting with them, finding out what the real sticking points, the real point um, issues are mm. in including the approvals they need to get. Yes. So, so there's a lot of work in between. Correct. Okay. That's and absolutely love- correct because that way there are, you are dealing with the problems that the different stakeholders have between the meetings. Otherwise, you can find yourself with everybody around the table, yes, but now... With everybody there, you're actually having to try and resolve each and every stakeholder's problem. Now, you're never going to get anywhere with that. You'll just have a meeting where everybody talks about their problem. Some respects, you do need to be allowed to vent from time to time. But if you're spending your time, your hour, your two hours, your three hours, whatever it may be, just going on with one after the other saying, I can't do this because, I don't think that's right because, you end up at the end of that period of time, with a list of negatives, you have actually made no progress. So the meeting is you used for making collective progress. And if you're going to do that, then in between the meetings, you've got to problem solve. And that's what the ringing round, that's what they're saying, can I come and spend half an hour in your office, can I come and see you, is all about. Problem solve between, make progress in the meeting. Problem solve between, make more progress in the meeting. And it does take a lot of time, but in respect of the totality of the speed of moving the project forward, it is actually ultimately very much the quickest way. I love that image. So if I put all these images together, Angela, we have this notion that you're the sheepdog (laughs) with a very clear sense of purpose, a very clear idea of what it takes to herd this group of people in the right direction. Mm that you use the meetings to make collective progress. And when you can no longer make collective progress, it's time to end the meeting. And then you resolve individual problems, which includes compromise, listening, um, trade-offs, getting approval, kind of putting Uh a little pressure on. But we do that one-to-one in between the meetings. And then we come back and make a little more collective progress. It's a lovely metaphor for... I get the sense of just a wave, a step forward, kind of settle everybody down, a little step forward, settle everybody down, and so we go. Okay, um, I want to talk next about the getting everybody to agree on the issue itself. But what we're going to do first is take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to continue this conversation with Angela about how do you get people on board of even recognizing what the problem is and how do you keep the conflict in that initial set down to some tolerable level. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Angela Knight. Angela has a wonderful history of bringing a variety of people together to try to reach a solution, particularly when those people didn't want to talk in the first place. And those include regulatory agencies, trade associations, corporations, government, and the public at large, particularly to solve very complex, very thorny points. Um, problems. Now, what I love about your stories, Angela, in particular, is for the cases that you have, everybody comes to the table with their own interest. Mm-hmm. Corporations, each corporation has their own way that they can approach the problem, what they can and cannot do. The trade associations have their own expectations. Regulators have their own expectations. And the public has yet another one. So you've got all the thorniness of people with what we often call a special interest. I don't know if they're special, just realistic. Um, I want to pick up on one thing that you said in the last segment, and that is we often hear this in when we're trying to get a group of people to agree on a way forward. You don't always have the person you need in the room. And you said in particular, sometimes you have, you call them the Sherpa, uh-huh. who is there 
to, um, they have to do the work and they're the one that's designated and the one that's going to spend the time, but it's not necessarily the decision maker. And in your case, you worry less about whether you need to get the decision maker. You just allow time for the individual to ensure that the decision maker is bought in. Is that a fair statement? Yes, I think it is. The, I mean, many of the decisions that ultimately have to be made when companies, when an industry has got to change its normal practice, uh, those, the actual cost of doing those changes is multiples of millions of pounds. So that's going to be a pretty, it's going to be pretty high up the organization, if not at the top, where ultimately they'll say, okay, we'll spend that money. But during the time in which you're trying to craft the best way that these changes can come about, you're not going to have that person who has that decision-making authority in the room. You want them to know that all these discussions are taking place, of course, but they've sent you someone, often someone who is absolutely fantastic on the detail, but doesn't actually have the authority to make the decision. And you know that what's happening is there's a report back going on after the meeting outside the room when they're all back in the same company. And that process is obviously a process that's going to take place, but sometimes it's one of the real blockages to get a final decision. Because the individual who's with you, the individual who's been deputed to come and do the actual collective discussion, because they haven't got the authority, and often they've actually made their own mind up about what the solution should be to, and sometimes they're in favor, and sometimes they actually think they can come up with a better one, but others aren't going to agree. They're not, you know, you get pretty convinced that the full story and the full realization of now's the time to say yes or no has not actually been given to the, per, to the person at the top. And it's at that point that you, running the trade association, trying to get to the end game, has to, well, I've always said to the Sherpa, I'm going to see your chief executive. And you go to the chief executive and you say, I know this is going to cost you money, but this is the best proposition. And if you go for anything more, well, it's going to cost you more money, so you're better to agree that. And those are the various layers and various stages that you have to go through. You don't always get it right. You don't always get to the right answer. But most of the time, if you recognize the different layers and the different authorities, and that you've got to go to the man or the woman at the top from time to time, but try and keep those at the table all there, you will get the outcome that you want. Okay. I love that notion, too, that it's not immediately that you go to the chief executive or to the top of the organization, but you wait for the timing is right. You allow the individual who's into the detail to work their process and then kind of keep an eye on when and what needs to be said when you go. Fascinating. That's right. And usually you do it from, well, I tended to do it from, what would I feel like? Now, if I've... If I'm running a body, running my trade body, I've got 60, 70, 80 staff there, and we've got all sorts of issues going along different times, I'm not going to be in all the meetings, and I don't want people coming in and saying, do I do this, do I do that, all the time. But there's a point at which I want to be involved. There's a point at which I want to be fully briefed. There's a point at which I'm going to make a decision. So if I now face outwards and I look at the situation for a company, 
I just make the same assumption uh, that I, how I would like it done for myself. I make the same assumption that they want it done like that. So you choose your moment wisely. You try and make sure that nobody feels that you've somehow pushed them to one side or leapt over them. Uh, or indeed, make sure you don't go too early, but don't leave it too late and get to that person. And then you can get your decision. I have a sense of a well-orchestrated process here. It's also fascinating, Angela, that um, you know we did a show a few weeks ago on conflict and talking about how you deal with conflict and conflicts at the heart of what you're working through. Uh-huh. And the advice there is very much this notion of getting the perspective of other people who are sitting around the table. And this is exactly what you're talking about. Emotional intelligence to read where people are, to know what the timing is, to allow it to occur in its own way and to be an active listener in that process. Now, I want to come to the very beginning of this whole journey. So... You and your group, your team, have identified a particular issue that needs to be addressed. And there's probably some discussion in the world at large about the need to address this issue. But I'm betting that everybody else wants to avoid the issue and they just (laughs) rather not hope that it will go away. So Mm. how do you get people with tons on their plate already Mm. to decide that this issue is worthy of time and attention? Yeah, it is, it is enormously difficult to get people to the table early enough. Often you're playing catch-up. Let me try and uh, give you an example, Wanda. Okay. Um, when I was with the energy industry, I had as the members of the trade association all, the, all those who generate electricity in the country, all those who supply gas and electricity to homes, and they're not necessarily the same people, and those who own the national grid, and it's a whole variety of people. And an issue was starting to bubble up in the press, on Twitter, on the social sites, and so on, about how a particular way, which is common in the UK, for how you pay your energy bills. Now, in the UK, we tend to use gas for our central heating in domestic homes. Domestic homes don't have air conditioning, and we use electricity simply for light and for uh, running televisions and things like that. So what that means is that you use a lot of gas in the winter, central heating on, cold outside, and in the summer, you don't. And your electricity is pretty much the same from, uh, from winter uh, to summer and back to winter. And we have a process in the UK where you have an arrangement with your energy supplier to pay a fixed amount of money each month. So in effect, in the summer, you overpay. In the winter, you underpay. But it helps loads and loads of people with you know, how they manage their money because they just pay the same amount each month by a direct debit out of their bank account. And there's probably, I don't know, 70% of those Uh, 70% of of householders will pay their bills in that way to their energy supplier. And suddenly, this started to be questioned because, of course, you build up this credit balance with your energy supplier in the summer. And the criticism that was being levied was that this wasn't fair because the money was then sitting with the energy supplier and, of course, in times of hardship and because you've got 
the financial crisis that we'd had in this country. We got our recession, so so forth. This was the energy supplier somehow, you know, taking money which they didn't, they shouldn't be taking off individuals. Well, here was the industry saying, hang on, that's not, it, that's a, no, not at all what it's all about. And we've got countless uh, surveys which show that that's what our customers want. We have the media saying, this is those greedy energy companies hanging on to people's money and they should be giving it back. Government jumped in and government said, oh, I tell you what we'll do, we'll get that money back from the energy companies, not having realized what the process was and why we had this just fixed amount of money each month. They didn't realize that that was uh, the, the predominant way which people wanted to pay. And then the regulator said, oh, you know, this is our patch. We're going to put some rules around it. So we'd actually got a bit of a mess. And the energy companies stayed very strongly. on. They were holding the line saying, this is the right way that people should pay for their energy bill because it means that they never get a big bill in winter. It's the same amount month after month. Not realizing that society had moved on. And the societal expectation was not that. Yes, people were quite prepared to, to and preferred to have that fixed way of paying. But actually, underneath that preference, they were saying, but I think the energy company is charging me too much anyway. And when I ask that energy company to say, to give me back my credit balance, or if I move from one energy company to another, it takes me ages to get my refund. So on one hand, the energy companies were correct in saying that people's, it, this was people's preference. But on the other, they hadn't realized that the actual service that people wanted was uh, more nuanced than that, and that there were some areas in which they were strongly failing people, particularly uh, when they went from one company to another or their circumstance changed. So, if you like, everybody had got a point. Um, the, there, was, there was some very strong feelings being expressed. And the, I couldn't get the energy companies to move right at the start because it, you know, they said no, we're in the right, but then they realized it. And at the point at which they realized, yes, there, are, there is more to this issue, we've got to make some changes, we actually managed to get the changes through very quickly indeed. Meanwhile, government realizing that if it said, oh, no, you've just got to pay a variable bill every month was on the wrong side, they then sort of changed their views, and the regulators, well, they eventually walked away. The media uh, claimed a success. Well, yes, we all had to change our systems, but actually the end result was better than it would otherwise have been. But if the energy industry had moved a bit earlier, then we'd have got to the right outcome, but we'd have got it with less reputational damage. And the key thing always seems to me, when you're late in picking up what your customers are saying, what the public's saying, or not interpreting correctly what government's asking you to do, the key problem is that reputational damage. And if that reputational damage is just on one company, they have a real problem. When it's on an industry, well, then an industry is going to be in very considerable difficulties for some time. Angela, that's fascinating because that same story applies both to individuals and to corporations as well. 
You mm. find that when there is within any organization, there's gossip, rumor, conversation, speculation, and it's typically negative. And it may be grounded. It may be totally ungrounded. And it can be among your customers or internal. Um, and that if you avoid and addressing the issue for too long, then you end up with a reputational damage and it becomes much harder to resolve. And in this case, what I find is fascinating, as is often the case, the presenting problem isn't really the real problem. That it takes a willingness to look underneath at what is really causing the angst and then you have the ability to make some traction against the problem. Mm -hmm. And sometimes... The fact that it doesn't get looked at properly is because it's not properly recognized by the company. They haven't realized that actually what they think is happening is not the same as what, you know, what people feel is happening when they're on the receiving end. And the bigger the corporation, the more you have sort of the corporate think and the more powerful your executive team, the less likely somebody is, is to put their hand up and say, hey, I think we've got this wrong. So there, there, there is a, there's, there's a bit of that sort of whole size thing which can provide almost a barrier to doing the right thing even when you want to do it. And, and in amongst there, I think there's, there's kind of another blush. If you are working in a company and you're working in an industry which is under pressure, it's, it's not light. Like our banking industry is not light. I don't know whether it's the same in the U.S., but our banking industry is still not light here in the U.K. Our energy industry is still not light. But you, you're an individual. You're working in there or you're running it or whatever. You get a bit fed up with going off to see your friends or going for a drink at the pub or the bar or a meal at the restaurant and have people coming up and saying to you, I don't know why you do this. I don't know why you do that. Uh, and so you tend to withdraw from the company of others who are not working in the industry. And whilst that's enormously understandable on a personal front, what it does is it, is it, is it makes the, the gap even bigger between what you think you're doing and what it is that your customers and society is, is feeling, feeling like, what their view is of that service or those goods that you're providing. Fascinating, Angela. So if I listen to all of this, this notion that it's perfectly understandable, and I see it in the U.S. as well as everywhere else that I work, you tend to draw into like-minded people to see Uh the problem the way you see it and to think about it the way you think about it and have the same language and experiences you have. I see that within engineers in a marketing-oriented company, and you certainly see it within every other industry, as you said. So you draw in. And what that means then is you're not hearing alternative perspectives Uh or you're hearing them through a singular lens. And that makes it harder for you to see what is really an issue that needs to go forward. Fascinating. So it's getting people to willing to have voiced those views and to listen to somebody else that makes all the difference. All right, we're going to take a break at this point. When we come back, I want to spend a little bit more time talking about the toing and froing that it takes to move a group forward on progress. So we're talking with Angela Knight, and we'll be right back. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace.com at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Angela Knight. Angela has incredible experience in bringing groups of people together who don't want to talk to each other, who have completely different views of a problem, to work towards a solution that's for the greater good, if we will, for everyone, and especially when they didn't want to do it in the first place. Now, we were just talking about the barriers that um, occur within groups to seeing the need to talk and some ultimate solutions. But Angela, I want to go back to something you said at the very, very beginning and this notion that you use meetings to make collective progress, to reach Uh a steady bit more agreement, and that in between meetings, you use the time to solve individual problems, meaning the problems of the individual stakeholders that are showing up, because you can't solve those in the meeting. You can only solve those one-on-one. Now, that takes an incredibly long time. So... How much time are we talking about in the typical examples that you're dealing with from the start of the group meeting to the point where we pretty much have a solution? Months? Years? No, no. It has, usually has to be much quicker because 
one is looking at fairly fast timetables. Either it is because the market's changing, it's because regulation is changing, it's because you can see that there's a government imperative, or your other stakeholders are, are wanting uh, some results. So you haven't got a lot, lot of time. Um, the way that I set about it is I set the meetings for a weekly basis. So that means that we all know that every week, Thursday afternoon, whatever it is, same time, same date, every week, there is a meeting. Um, and you've got, therefore, seven days between the meeting in order to pick up the issues of the various participants. It's actually quite easy to work out in a meeting which uh, group, which participant is uncomfortable and why, either from what they say, how they said, or the fact that they don't say anything. I mean, never assume that silence actually is an affirmative. Silence can mean an awful lot of things. So you can work it out. And after all, it's also up to you to know what the business models are of your, your members of the companies around the table. You, you need to think about what the political imperative, what the regulatory imperative is. So you're not doing this blind. You're doing it having done your own homework, which you can continue to do on what it is that might well be the varying issues for the different companies uh, and the different participants. So when you ring up or when you go around between the meetings, you're not going around saying, okay, what's your problem? You're going around with a series of points which will work on the basis of, I think you probably have got some concerns in this area. And I can see why you might have those concerns. And I think yeah, they're a fair point. However, if we do it like this, then that should cover most of your concerns. And if we don't do it, and if you say you're not going to participate, well, that's okay as well. But I think you'll find that everybody else is moving down those lines. So let's, let, let's try some of these options. So you're, 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 you're having an absolutely straightforward, always be straight, always be honest, always be open, always give options and choices. And you do find that that helps you move it along. And one of the things I also do is when everybody comes back for the next meeting, they've got this, this, this deck in front of them. They can see it in the deck as we move through the slides what the progress has been made. And at the last slide, which starts the discussion of the meeting, the last slide actually puts together the conclusions of those interactions that you've had in the days between the last meeting and this one. And it kind of summarizes. So you've got a series of points there of where you've either got everybody to the points or you've got a majority to the points. And when you've only got a majority, you put underside underneath, but three didn't agree or two didn't agree. And it's amazing how that makes people think, oh, well, crikey, if that's the case, fine, let's move on. So it's, it's just that sort of toing and froing technique. But you've got to be quick. Usually we would have something like maximum of three months to get to, con get to solutions, get to conclusions. Sometimes we'd have to do it in three or four weeks. These are time-pressurized, time-short decisions key industries, key political imperatives. You've got to move everybody along. Very interesting. I'm going to make a slight different segue into this one. This week I was coaching someone whose task it is to bring a group of people together and keep them on a timeline and a deadline and make things happen for them. Stuff that they all agree needs to happen, but that no one particularly wants to spend time on. 
And the tendency is to push, 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 push. And what you're saying here is the exact same process that would work there. This notion of going to an individual and say, look, I see what your concerns are. I see what your time constraints are. I see what's a problem for you. But if we don't do this, then we're going to end up in this particular problem. And you just kind of increment people towards where you need them to be using a bit of the collective power, but also a bit of your one-to-one skills and empathy, if you will, with the individual knowledge of the individual. Angela, let me ask the, you know, $64,000 question. How do you have the patience? (laughs) It is quite difficult, actually, sometimes. Um, Usually a bit of what I call gallows humor. So you'll be back in the office and you have a group of them and you just say, you know, X or Y is completely impossible individual. So a bit of that, you know, a bit of sort of collective um, uh, crying at each other's shoulder, a bit of a joke about the impossibility. And then when you get home in the evening, have a glass of red wine and think of something different. <laughs> <laughs> you need to use your family to keep you balanced, keep your feet on the, on, on the ground, and then you'll find that you refresh your patience from one day to the next. That's lovely said. I like that concept. But I find a lot of people have a hard time not taking it all so personally and getting a bit of distance from it. Ten seconds of advice on that one? Yeah, I think eventually um, you do take things personally. I can take things personally. But it is having been in these sorts of fields for quite a number of years means that you gain the experience now that most of that which is said or that which is done, however it might have been expressed, isn't personal. It is just the way things get said. Um, And I'll give you an example. At the height of the banking crisis here in the UK, I seem to be on the television or the radio almost every day. I have a long commute into work in the morning, an hour, hour and ten minutes. I, n- I always did it the same way. I got on the local train station a couple of miles down the road. And so people would have seen me on the television the night before saying whatever I was saying about unpopular industry. And then I'd get on the train. And when I first, you know, when I first realized, I thought, good Lord, I've got to get on this train. You know, people have a go at me. Uh, and they never did. And I found that people, the, people would make you comments. People would give you a view. People would tell it how they they felt it, but they would never, they never meant it personally. They never wanted you to take it personally. And I think that's something that we all need to, to, to remember. You will have the odd bastard in this world who will have a real go at you, but mostly people in saying what they feel, in giving their concerns, even though it's to you in the room, they don't want you to take it personally. They just want you to help them fix it. Fabulous, Angela. All right, we're going to take a break again. Um, What I find fascinating is this notion that you recognize that while people might be yelling at you or upset with you or saying any number of things, they really much more care about the solution than they want you to take it personally. And that ability to get a bit of distance and a bit of humor is what allows you to get through the sessions. All right, when we come back, I want to focus on tying up some loose ends here, um, particularly around dealing with the tension that occurs in the media. So we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Angela Knight, and we've been talking about the challenges, the processes for bringing people who have completely different perspectives and different interests together to solve and reach a conclusion on a particularly complex problem like an energy policy. All right, so now, Angela, you've talked about the going around and getting everybody's views, knowing what people can and cannot do. Um, You've talked about getting people to now agree that, yes, we probably better figure out some solution to get from A to B. You've talked about the fact that the meeting is the place where you make collective progress, and then in between the meetings, you go around to each individual and help solve each individual's problem, whether that's through a compromise or an adjustment a bit of cajoling or a bit of pressure from the majority. And then as you come back to the next meeting a week later, you're inching forward just a little bit more progress. And you do that with a slide deck that says, here's what we've gotten to thus far. Here's what we have agreed on thus far. Here's where we were when we ended last week. And here's the progress that's happened over the course of the week. And just kind of steadily moving it forward exactly like a sheepdog, moving a herd of sheep into a pen. Okay, now you've also said that there is great time, great magic in the timing of when you sort of introduce the solution because if you introduce the solution too early, it gets rejected soundly and if you introduce it too late, you're not going to make progress. So what if you introduce the solution and everybody rejects it? What do you do then? And it happens. I mean, it will inevitably happen. And it will happen when probably two things have occurred. Firstly, that you've got people around the table who simply are not prepared to accept any other outcome other than the one that they've proposed, regulators, government, or other than the the one in which 
they want to do themselves a company uh, or one or two companies. So it can, it can it can happen then that there is absolutely no intention for a significant proportion of those around the table to ship. So that's one. And the second, which you find that uh, your solution simply just is rejected, is because you are in a situation in which there has been a decision. You know, it's all been moving along fine, and then there's been the decision by one party to decide, they decided to precipitate an outcome. So rejection will happen. And when rejection happens, often the only thing that you can do is then stand to one side and let whatever is the outcome take its course. Invariably, I have to say that when a solution is rejected, the outcome is going to be worse and and is worse for one group or another. And of those groups, the, the people who it's going to be worse for will be the industry. Because put yourself in the position, here we are, we're back at the trade association. We've got our stakeholders. We've got our members, which are the, the, the companies that make up the industry. We've got government. We've got regulators. The industry has said no. Well, the industry has said we can't go there. Or there's companies who say I'll only have my solution. What will regulators do? What will government do? What will the public do? And the answer is they will force their change regardless of the view of the company or the view of the industry. So, yes, you do get rejection, but often that rejection takes place uh, earlier rather than later. What do I mean by that? It, it, will, take, it will take place earlier in your, either your tenor as a CEO of that trade body or it will take place early in whatever is the problem into which you know, you're finding uh, the industry is, um, is moving and the issues that it's being presented with. Um, so, so once that is over and done with, and once they've seen the consequences of a, a non-cooperation, uh, again, I'm sticking for the industry side, uh, they tend not to go there a second time. And from a government perspective and from a regulator perspective, the, the, for them, what they usually want is a quick solution. And you can only get a quick solution with cooperation. And so if you say, no, I'm not going to listen anymore, I don't want to know anymore, you've got to solve, you've got to go, you've got to do this, then that solution is slower rather than quicker. But in all these things, what sits right at the top is reputational damage because you're being seen usually from an, you know, the industry is being seen as an industry which is, is not prepared to do what its, its consumers, its customers, its client wants. Government is seen to be weak. Regulator is seen to be ineffective. So the reputational consequences of failure are very high and therefore the imperative, the push when, when, when people start to think about this properly is to get an effective outcome to which all you know, can say, can, 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 can at least chalk something of a win and where there is a sensible and speedy outcome which, uh, uh, which is a good compromise and affects the right result. 
Okay, so Angela, so the story about this one is rejection does happen. And there's a bit of accept when it happens, it's happened. And then you sort of wait. Some party is going to suffer the consequences of that. Oh. And then you hope that, that that consequence is enough to bring people around to looking at a different solution. Rather than standing there and as the sole person try to push, 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 push towards a solution, you're waiting for them to come back to you. Angela, thank you very much for being a guest today. It's been a fabulous discussion. Um, so I'd it's been a pleasure to. having you. Okay, and then great. Thank you very much indeed, Wanda, for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Next week, we're going to be with Bruce Regal, and the focus of next week's session is going to be around performance metrics. If you want to know how to measure all of that crazy small stuff that's going to make a difference in how you achieve your strategy, the next week's show is the time to listen. So we look forward to joining you then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. 